live in a difficult time for those of us who just want to eat. We may sit at our own dinner table thinking about what to eat from our own kitchen, that new supplement, or even the new supposed superfood. Welcome to Foodology Radio, a student-ran radio show where you can hear the science and nutrition, receive dietary tips, have your own personal nutrition questions answered, and so much more. Disclaimer, this podcast is intended for educational purposes only. We are nutrition students, not medical professionals. This information should not be substituted for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Before making any substantial changes to your diet or lifestyle, please consult a physician, registered dietitian, or other medical professionals. Welcome to Foodology Radio. This is your host, Michelle. And I'm your host, Aaron. Back with another episode on the plant-based uh, diet series. Um, I know it's been a while since we uploaded a new episode, but we're back. Um, a little bit of the midterm season caught up with us and other parts of life, of course, but um, today we're back, uh, continuing with the last episode, um, at least for right now. We'll be discussing the main concerns or risk associated with the plant-based diet, um, at least that we often hear about. But before that, we'll be sure to get into the nutrition and the news first which today is titled Pumpkin Spice Lattes, How Unhealthy Are They? And it's an article we found in the Huffington Post, actually. I love pumpkin spice lattes personally. How about you, Aaron? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I like them. Um, I actually bought a... I don't know if this counts, but I, I actually bought um, a creamer for pumpkin spice lattes just to try it out because I never actually tried before, and I like it. I don't know if I would continuously buy it over and over again, but yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of it. Yeah, I love fall, and pumpkin spice reminds me of fall. I don't know if I'm just the most basic person ever, but, like, um, yeah, (laughs) I like pumpkin spice lattes. Who doesn't? Um, Have you tried the Califia Farms one? Um, They have a cold brew version at, like, Target or basically anywhere. Yeah, I actually got the... I didn't get the Califia Farm ones. I didn't get the cold brew one. I just got the one that's just pure creamer. For the co- for coffee, um, that's the one I've been uh, using so far. That's cool. I might have to try it. Yeah, I found it at Sprouts. It was like I think it was pretty good. It was like I think four bucks or three bucks or something. Nice. Um, yeah. So obviously we picked this article just because we found it pretty fitting with the theme of fall, of course, with uh, winter coming up and pumpkin spice lattes being all the rage during this time of year. We found it pretty fun to discuss it, at least uh, to fit with the weather. That we have here in socal right now it rained once <laughs> it rained it rained yesterday didn't it if yeah I remember my time. other than that it's been pretty sunny but yeah i don't know about the fall this year yeah it's gonna be kind of a hot fall compared to you normal. can still drink coffee <laughs> in, in the in the hot morning watch well, the morning is not too hot anymore the morning as of like two days ago i see it's pretty cold again at least from my experience um that's just the morning though and the afternoon is kind of like whatever yeah so basically this article is debunking um like i think starbucks pumpkin spice lattes um i don't know that's where i'm pretty sure most people get their pumpkin spice lattes it's from starbucks yeah and we'll just give you a a few tips to make it a little more healthier if you are ordering from um someplace like starbucks they're gonna put a lot more added sugars and stuff like that in it yeah, yeah, so that's I see with the 
article actually talks about um, pretty much in short summary that the article is talks about how like um, pumpkin spice lattes obviously aren't like actual real pumpkins um, at least when it comes to nutrient value um, real pumpkins they're often known for like their high antioxidant content their vitamin A content um, and also nutrient uh, lutein which is thought to benefit eye health um, but also that mentions that pumpkin spice lattes are awfully low an actual real pumpkin is mostly just like flavorings, not actual real pumpkin in there. So the benefits of pumpkin not really seen much or at least theorized with pumpkin spice lattes. Yeah, make sure to get some actual pumpkin in this fall. <laughs> you know, pumpkin pie, yeah. Or sweet potato pie. Yes. That's a, a way of getting actual pumpkin in. Um, yeah, but basically pumpkin spice um, contains very little pumpkin, as you said. It's mostly like nutmeg, like cinnamon. And a lot of sugar. Yeah. Uh, the article actually mentions the, um, a serving size being 50 grams of sugar or 12 teaspoons, which is essentially is like your maximum limit recommendation for the day. And that's just on the coffee, let alone maybe like the donut or like the bagel you get with it or anything else you have there throughout the day. So, um, of course, a very high source of added sugars in a diet. Uh, but with your point, Michelle, and making it a little bit healthier, um, the article does mention, um, like, asking the, what do they call the barista? Yeah, the barista. Yeah, the barista asking them to, like, dilute it so it's not as much sugar. You just ask them to not put as much. Um, obviously, it's not going to taste as good, but um, if you can, if it's still fine with you, that's a good alternative, just uh, lowering your sugar intake for the day. Yeah, I think pumpkin spice lattes are already very sweet as it is, so it won't do um, too much to the flavor if you just ask them to add half the sugar or half the amount of pumps of syrup. Another thing you can do is substitute whipped cream with foam to cut down on calories. Um, if you're making it at home, I just bought this little um, foamer. <laughs> I don't oh. know what you call it. Is it like the... Like the electrical one where like you put it in your coffee and yeah, it spins around it just really stirs fast it, but yeah, I've, seen, um, I've seen those it's, I just think it's really fun <laughs> yeah, that's why you so bought it necessary but yes you can substitute with foam as well as um, ordering online to save time with customization yeah so those are good um, alternatives that you can try um, if you're trying to drink out with your pumpkin spice lattes during the winter times um on the other hand, if you're like me and you prefer to buy uh, store-bought versions of the same thing and make it your make it yourself at home, um, there are ways of making it um, at home without having to have a barista do it for you. So at home, you can save money, of course, and also lower your, your sugar intake by trying to make your own version of pumpkin spice lattes where you just use uh, coffee, the pumpkin spice, of course, like a creamer. Um, your, own, your choice of milk if you want and also a zero calorie sweetener like stevia or anything else you prefer uh, that's a good way of making it yourself at home while also cutting down on calories and of course making it a lot cheaper yeah as with making anything at home um, it's probably obviously going to be a lot cheaper and a lot healthier so you know exactly how much sugar milk and pumpkin spice you're adding to it um, mm -hmm. which would be a lot more less than a lot more or less a lot a lot less, a lot less than, than, the, yeah. <laughs> than um at starbucks yeah um 
Yeah, that goes with anything, obviously, but especially coffee. Starbucks at coffee is like what? I don't know. I, I never go to Starbucks. I'm guessing it's like four or five bucks or something or eight bucks for a coffee at Starbucks. Meanwhile, like when you go to the store, like a creamer I bought, you can buy a creamer for like a month's worth of supply of coffee for like what? Four bucks or five bucks? I forgot the price of it, but significantly cheaper compared to going to Starbucks on a daily basis that some people do apparently. Um, I actually have a lot of money to spend just on coffee. I spend like eight bucks every single morning on it. Yeah, so obviously it's going to be a lot more inexpensive to make it at home. Yeah, so that's, everyone likes that. So also, as you mentioned before, a little bit before, we mentioned uh, you can, when making it at home, you can add uh, your choice of milk. Um, some milks, if you're trying to make it um, as low calorie as possible, so to say, um, you can choose um, plant-based milks, like almond milk is very often low calorie, or any other um, plant milk that's often low calorie, like coconut milk or soy milk. Um, but if you do choose like the whole milk, uh, just be aware that it does add significant, significantly to the calories if you are concerned about that, um, especially when you have it whole, when you have a lot extra fat with it. But even with any milk, it's also ramping up the sugar intake from it too. So that's just something to be aware of if you are choosing um, whole cow's milk. But um, really that goes with any other milk too, like plant-based milks. Um, if you have one that has like added sugar to it, um, that's also something to be worried about. Yeah, when you're making it at home, you can not only choose what type of milk you want to put in it, but it's also not going to cost you any extra because if you um, change up your order at Starbucks, they're going to charge you like an extra 50 cents or something. Oh, yeah. Especially when you have, especially when you want to have like the, the plant-based milk option at Starbucks, don't they charge you like an extra dollar or something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's kind of ridiculous. Um, it's a rip-off. Yeah, I know it is. Um, if anything, it should be cheaper because it should be cheaper to make those um, plant-based milk alternatives compared to like cow's milk, but that's something other that's, that's another topic in and of itself. So that was our nutrition in the news. Hopefully you guys enjoyed learning a little bit more about pumpkin spice lattes. Um, so our main topic of this episode is a plant-based diet. And last episode we did the benefits of a plant-based diet. And this episode we're going to talk about concerns or um, risks in going plant-based. And so we're going to talk about some of the nutrients that um, you might be concerned about getting. And yeah. Yeah, so also about like, um, at least at the end, a little bit about the culture around it, uh, at least if you are uh, going plant-based yourself, maybe what to expect from other people, so to say. Yeah, so we'll just talk about some of our own experiences with being plant-based, like some of the most common questions that we get, and um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So to start off, um, it's important to note, uh, like any other diet, um, it's highly dependent on the person um, and how they do it specifically. So um, if not properly followed, there can be, um, or like there is likely to be uh, nutrient deficiencies of concern that can severely impact your health if you don't follow the plant-based diet properly. And there are actually, surprisingly, especially as of late, um, it's getting more and more easy just to eat a lot more processed foods, a lot more vegan alternatives to many uh, favorite American foods that we have. Um, so especially with a lot 
of these foods coming out is getting easier and easier uh, to follow off track uh, uh, from a properly planned uh, plant-based diet. Right. There's so many fast food places popping up with Beyond Meat, um, new restaurants with vegan alternatives, and just like uh, even at the grocery store, there's like a vegan section in most grocery stores now. Especially if you live in LA, like everywhere you go, there's um, oh yeah, there's options for vegans, and yeah. those options might not be the healthiest. They might use like Beyond Meat and other meat alternatives, but uh, you just have to be aware of that when you live out here. <laughs> yeah, especially with like the um, a lot of restaurants coming out now. Uh, at least here in Long Beach, there's a new one. It's my favorite one called like Veggie Girl. I'm pretty sure you went there, Michelle. Like, plenty. Oh, uh, that's a that's a classic. That's it's my classic. favorite. Yes, yeah, Veggie the, Girl. Yeah, and also um, it's just like American um fast food basically. Mm-hmm. So that's what Veggie Girl is. Yeah, and also like my favorite one was it Plant Powered? I think it's right next to the Beachside Dorms. Yeah, that's brand new in Long Beach. They only had one in San Diego for a while. Um, but yeah, they just opened and now they have a drive through. I remember Ooh. going to plant power for their grand opening. That was fun. Yeah. They have the, they have the best, uh, vegan junk food <laughs> ever. I like their ice cream. They have like the best ice cream I've ever found so far. Um, so yeah, with a lot of these restaurants and especially with, um, increasing, uh, I guess vegan junk foods in the grocery store is getting more and more compelling to go out to these stores more often, um, at least for me. Yeah, and I guess it also depends on your reasons for being vegan. Um, A lot of vegans um, are vegan for the animals, so they don't really care so much about their health. But um, it's important not to neglect that part as well. Yeah, exactly. Well said. So that was a general overview of the uh, concerns with the plant-based diet. But... Uh, more specifically, we can actually start talking about the actual specific nutrients that are of concern that we've been t- um, implying at. So the first one that me and Michelle and anyone else who's ever interested in this diet hears about pretty much all the time um, is protein, right? Yeah, where do you get your protein? <laughs> this is the $1,000 question right there. So this comes from like protein obviously being um, highly... I guess, uh, associated in our culture with like meat and fish and milk and eggs. And when you get rid of these sources, obviously it makes sense. A lot of people would become concerned over this. But um, again, like we mentioned before, when you appropriately plan it um, and you switch out protein sources for other protein sources like beans, um, soy, uh, nuts and seeds, um, you actually find and the rest of your food that once you add it up together, uh, you actually find out that protein at the end of the day, isn't too much of a concern, at least for the average person. Yeah, so the average American actually consumes twice the amount of protein that they actually need in their everyday diet. So um, it shouldn't be that hard to get enough protein um, just on a plant-based diet. Many plant-based foods already have protein, and I think one of the main concerns comes from the fact that um, plant-based protein is not um, a complete protein, it is considered a low-quality protein. Um, and that means that just means that it doesn't contain all the essential amino acids. Um, whereas meat and fish um, and dairy, they all contain, they're considered 
high quality proteins or complete mm-hmm. proteins because they do contain all the essential amino acids. But that doesn't mean that you can't get all your amino acids from plant-based foods. Um, it's just a matter of combining different foods. Yeah, exactly, Michelle. And it's important to realize that while this concern um, is valid, it's just that the way we actually eat as people um, usually it covers this in of itself. So usually we don't eat uh, just one particular food. That's why you always uh, mention eat a diverse diet, right? And when you follow this principle uh, with having a diverse diet, you often find that you're already combining these foods to begin with. So when you just combine, um, you know, whole grains, beans, uh, nuts and seeds, uh, fruits and vegetables, as um, any other um, like nutrition organization organization recommends, uh, you find that your protein requirements, um, especially with the or specifically with even with the essential amino acid requirements, uh, they're already covered in the first place as long as you follow the diversity principle. Right. You don't have to consciously think about oh, let me combine this protein and this protein to make it um, complete um, because throughout the day you're gonna get complete proteins mm-hmm. yeah so a big mix misconception out there where you have to combine if you're eating a plant-based diet you have to combine um, the proteins in the same meal but as long as you get it within the day right um, you'll be good when it comes to your protein requirements Yeah, our bodies are very smart and they know what to do. So overall, some great sources of protein for vegans and plant-based people are legumes, which includes beans, lentils, peas, soy, and peanuts, and as well as seitan, quinoa, pistachios, and pumpkin seeds. Yeah, I feel like um, me and my household, you probably get a lot of protein from peanuts, just from how much you eat in a day. Um... How do you eat peanuts? I just uh, the only way much. I eat peanuts is like peanut butter. <laughs> I just eat peanuts uh, just like whole. And my my father always buys like a bag of peanuts, and I hate it because I always snack on them throughout the day. Um, yeah, I eat a lot of peanuts. They say I can't resist them. Like they're just sitting right there. Yeah, so that was a short summary on protein. Obviously, protein is a complicated issue, but uh, in short, um, diversity and legumes and make com- combining foods but uh, before that we got to go into a quick commercial break and after that we'll get into the next topic uh, at least subtopic with iron this is 22 west radio kkjz hd3 and on the internet at 22westradio.com Yo, you hearing this? Listen up. We're Jams from Japan, a show that plays songs exclusively from Japan. We showcase all kinds of songs, old, new, and every hit in between. So tune in and buckle up because you're in for a fun ride. Join us on Wednesdays, 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on 22S Radio, 22Westmedia.com. Welcome back from our break. We just wrapped up protein before break, and now we're on to iron. So the main concern with iron is that it has lower bioavailability than um, iron from meat products, and there could be a potential risk for of anemia for some. Yeah, specifically for um, 
menstruating women. Uh, they're specifically a higher risk group for iron deficiency and the anemia that may follow it. So this is a, a particular concern for them, right? But even amongst them, um, really anybody, because we all need iron at the end of the day. Uh, so it's still important, um, even if you're following a plant-based diet, to still get iron on lockdown and making sure you still have an adequate intake of it. Yeah, so some tips to help increase iron absorption are adding a source of vitamin C at meals and also avoiding tea and coffee um, during meals because that can um, decrease iron absorption and also increasing legume intake, which contains a lot of iron Mm -hmm. and cooking foods in cast iron skillets, which is kind of interesting. Um, and as well as avoiding calcium supplements with meals because calcium can also inhibit the uptake of iron. Yeah, so like calcium, uh, that would include like um, like any uh, milk, at least like cow's milk, right? And also like any plant-based milk that's fortified with calcium or any other conventional calcium supplement if you're just taking a dedicated calcium supplement. Um, so pretty much when you, I don't know, from what it sounds like from here, no uh, limit coffee and limit milk. So pretty much just drink water with your meals. Um, and if you're all going to drink those beverages, um, have it in between meals so it doesn't um, inhibit the iron absorption uh, from meal to meal. Yeah, so some great sources of plant-based iron include chickpeas, kidney beans, butter beans, and other legumes, as well as oatmeal um, and seeds, dark chocolate, spinach, and leafy greens. Um, nuts, as well as dates, raisins, and dried fruits. Yeah, um, beans, um, the chocolate one's really easy. Uh, vegetables, they're obviously a lot, relatively higher in iron compared to fruit. Um, that's where uh, most people recommend to get your iron from. But of course, spinach, as we all remember from, oh, what was his name? Popeyes, right? Yeah, yeah, Popeyes with him and his canned spinach, obviously the classic source of iron with spinach. So there's still ways of getting a lot of iron in, uh, just making sure you pair it with a, a vitamin C source, which could be like a fruit, right? Like an orange, pineapple, or yep. a vitamin C in it. And that includes citrus fruits, such as oranges, grapefruit, as well as um, vegetables like broccoli, um, bell peppers, and some fruit, strawberries. Oh, strawberries. Everyone will like strawberries. That's an easy source for a lot of people. And speaking of strawberries, remember how we mentioned chocolate? How about strawberries and chocolate, right? So bam, good reason to eat cho- strawberries and chocolate. When everyone says, why are you eating chocolate with your strawberries? You know, it's a lot of sugar, right? Just tell them, you don't know your nutrition. There's a lot of iron in here, okay? You just don't understand. Who would have thought strawberries and dark chocolate for iron? Exactly. So he... You hear it right here in Foodology Radio, strawberry and chocolate, iron certified. Yeah, so just make sure you're pairing your iron sources with a source of vitamin C for maximum absorption. Exactly. So next would be with calcium. So another uh, major mineral that we hear over and over again, uh, at least that's um, associated with risk with the plant-based diet, uh, specifically because a lot of people... Uh, when they think of calcium, they often think of like cow's milk, right? Um, that's a lot of people's main uh, think, um, at least main thought of where they get calcium. So, uh, but at least with calcium, mostly it's 
with like replacing milks like so instead of cow's milk you get like almond milk or soy milk with a more nutrition or for a more nutrition equivalent uh, soy milk would be a good alternative and usually most of these milks are fortified with calcium for the most part i don't think i've seen any milk that's not fortified with calcium um, but that's just my own personal experience always be be safe and check when you are going out and buying your own plant-based milks so besides fortified milks um, some of the top plant-based sources of calcium are turnip greens, mustard greens, kale, bok choy, and collard greens. So basically any like dark leafy greens. Yeah, those are other alternatives to um, calcium fortified plant-based milks. Um, obviously, relatively speaking, it'll be a lot harder to get your calcium. But if you're insistent on getting only whole foods, those are possible at least. Oh, as well as tofu. Tofu contains a lot of calcium as well. Yeah, yeah, tofu. See, that makes sense, yeah. I eat a lot of tofu, so. Yeah, that makes sense. Another nutrient of concern is uh, zinc. So zinc is a rare mineral usually found um, in meat and dairy products. Um, that's usually where a lot of people get their zinc intake. Um, but just like anything, usually there's a plant-based alternative to it. So at least when it can, in the case of zinc, um, those alternatives include uh, foods such as nuts, seeds, and also uh, beans. They have good levels of zinc. Um, so if you're making sure you eat those foods at appropriate quantities, um, you, you'll likely be okay with zinc. Although uh, it's always safe to check if you're ever tracking your foods uh, just to make sure. Yeah, so the plant-based foods that are most high in zinc are legumes, nuts, seeds, and oatmeal. Yeah, so uh, oatmeal. I, I ate a lot of oatmeal. That's, that's good news for me then. <laughs> I didn't know that. So zinc is important for male reproductive hormones and the immune system. So um, zinc deficiency could result in poor growth and delayed sexual maturation. How do you pronounce Matur that? Maturation? Yeah, in children, poor wound healing, hair loss, and impaired immune function, and dermatitis. Ooh. Just, just one more bad thing to put on that list, right? Dermatitis, not enough things on it. Uh, so yeah, it's very important to get, to get enough zinc in it. Obviously, you don't want all those bad things happen to you, right? Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that's this actually reminds me of with zinc. It actually reminds me of a joke with um, at least right now with uh, COVID. A lot of people like selling the hoax, like oh, eat this um, zinc supplement and you'll get rid of coronavirus. Obviously, that's not true. Um, zinc is important for the immune system, but it's not gonna make you uh, protected from coronavirus. Just wanted to say that. Um, at least put on a light on it and how ridiculous it is and how funny they are to me. Yeah, so just be careful with zinc supplements. You most likely don't need it unless you're deficient, and um, you can supplement with a moderate zinc supplement, which should be good and safe. In addition, uh, protein can also help increase mm. zinc absorption, so consuming um, foods that are high in protein and zinc, such as legumes and nuts, are good choices. Yeah, just a big coincidence that usually... Uh, food sources that are high in protein are also high in zinc, so it's kind of a good uh, coincidental uh, symbiosis of those two nutrients together. Just thought I laid it out there. So next nutrient, uh, actually probably the biggest nutrient concern when it comes to people with a plant-based diet, um, is vitamin B12. 
Uh, vitamin B12 being the only vitamin that you can actually find only exclusively in uh, animal products like meat, dairy, and eggs. And those that don't consume those foods, um, they actually have a very high likelihood of eventually finding a B12 deficiency down the line. Unless they follow, unless they prescribe to a um, regular supplementation regimen with B12, or if they consume foods, well, actually not or um, and if they consume foods with um, B12 fortified um, foods. So what I mean by that is just that um, there are B12 fortified foods, but usually they're not recommended to be your sole source of B12. Usually it's recommended that um, you would try to get most of your B12 or all of your B12 just from supplements. So like, I don't know, like a $10 vitamin B12 supplement in the store you can find. Um, that would be your way of solving this uh, concern when it comes to B12. Yeah, so the reason B12 isn't found in plant-based foods and it is found in animal products is because B12 actually comes from bacteria, which is naturally found in dirt. So unless you're eating like dirty produce, then you might not get enough B12. <laughs> um, but the reason it's found in animal-based foods is because um, the livestock that we consume are usually given B12 supplements as well. So vegans are not the only ones being given supplements. Omnivores are just given supplements secondhand through the livestock that they eat. Yeah, so I guess you can make an argument that either way you go, you're getting a B12 supplement anyway. It's just when you take the supplement, uh, you're taking it directly and not running any potential risk that you can have with um, either to the environment or potentially to yourself, arguably, when you eat. Um, a lot of like um, ammo-based products. So yeah, either one, and even then, um, a lot of people, I believe, are B12 deficient anyway. So when it comes to vitamin B12 at least, all of us, or at least most people, should be taking a supplement um, in the first place, uh, just because vitamin B12 deficiency is one of the most, most common uh, vitamin deficiencies found in the Western world. So uh, it's not just a concern for people following a plant-based diet or vegans. Um, it's really a concern when it comes to just the general population, really. And you don't want to be B12 deficient. B12 is important for energy, and it also helps protect the nervous system. So without it, um, you can get permanent damage, which includes blindness, deafness, and dementia. Yeah, so by B12, you definitely do not want to be deficient in. Um, I don't think anyone wants to have malfunctioning nerves in the future, so... Uh, very important to get your supplementation if you are going to be going on the plant-based diet, um, at least especially. Um, but if you're, um, even if you're not following a plant-based diet, uh, maybe worth considering even taking a supplement. Um, but of course, consult your doctor if you want to have a more proper discussion rather than just hearing us on the radio or the podcast uh, about B12 supplementation in your particular case. Right. Another thing to note um, is nutritional yeast also has B12. But, of course, you, I would still recommend a supplement unless you're consuming lots of it every a day. A lot of it, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's very tasty, but I don't know if you're going to be yeah. eating that much of it. But, yeah, it's a vegan staple. It tastes good on everything. Essentially, yeah. Especially, like, on... Well, especially on anything, really. Except for, like, sweet stuff, maybe. So, that's all we have for B12. 
And the last nutrient that may be of concern for vegans and vegetarians are choline, which is an essential nutrient needed for brain function, fat metabolism, and the health of cell membranes. Its main function is um, its involvement in metabolic processes and maintaining the structure of cells. Yeah, and also used for the creation of acetylcholine, which is an important neurotransmitter that we use in between communications of nerve cells, and it's used for like um, regulation of mood and also muscle contractions. Um, so anyone who are, or anyone who is exercising outside, you can thank acetylcholine for sending out those messages to the muscles to contract and do whatever movement they're trying to do. So we actually make small amounts of choline in the liver, but it's not enough to meet our choline requirements. So most choline does come from diet. Yeah, and um, at least here in the United States, around only 10% of people, interestingly enough, um, meet their choline recommendations. Um, and recommendations or requirements vary widely from 150 to 800, depending on a case-by-case basis. Yeah, so there's not a lot of research in this area, but based on the limited research, uh, 300 milligrams per day should be adequate for most adults. But the recommended amount, or the DRI, is 550 for adult males and 425 for adult females. And of course, they recommend more for pregnant and best breastfeeding women. Yeah, so I guess it's important to note that uh, apparently for most people, um, 300 milligrams would be good enough. But like Michelle said, um, even though the DRI says 550, that's mostly for a precautionary uh, principles just to be sure that everybody is adequately having enough choline intake if they meet the um, DRI of choline. So with that in mind, uh, we should be considering uh, what about people on the plant-based diet because um, there are relatively low levels of choline that are found naturally in plant products um, which include foods such as nuts, uh, grains, and cruciferous, cruciferous vegetables and also um, beans. So the concern here mostly relies on uh, typically in the average U.S. diet, uh, choline is mostly found in foods, uh, especially like eggs, uh, meat, and dairy. And of course, when you limit these foods, there then uh, becomes a concern over choline. But as mentioned before, um, if you follow a, a, vari- a varied diet, including nuts, grains, and cruciferous vegetables, uh, you'll likely be meeting your needs um, with up 300 milligrams, but uh, just to be safe, and if you want to, if you're worried about it, of course, go to your doctor or your registered dietitian just to get uh, your case basis or your specific case and talk with, with a physician about it and discussing if supplementation of choline uh, may be the best way for you. But um, more specifically, when it comes to food, uh, soy is also a very good source of choline, probably one of the, the highest choline sources of, um, or one of the highest sources of choline in the plant kingdom. Uh, soy is uh, particularly stands out amongst all of them. Uh, but beans, like pinto beans and kidney beans, are also really good sources, and also more specific foods that are lower in choline compared to the um, prior mentions, being like quinoa, uh, wheat germ, and peanut butter, which I mean, I like my peanut butter, so I think that's a pretty easy recommendation for all of us to follow by. 
So that wraps up all the nutrients you may be concerned about when going on a vegan or plant-based diet. And we're going to go right to break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about stroke. Hi, I'm Manny Valladares. I am a fourth-year journalism major, and you're listening to 22 West Radio. And we're back from the break. So before break, we were talking about uh, the specific nutrients of concern for a plant-based diet. But um, um, outside of nutrients, there is one um, health outcome or health concern with the plant-based diet. Um, at least that's getting a lot of press recently is the potential risk of increased risk of stroke. So, um, so far in the media, we have heard a lot about the potential increase of risk of stroke. And this stems from one uh, British medical journal study from 2019. And apparently they found that the Epic Oxford study found that increased risk of hemorrhagic stroke was persistent with those in the vegetarian, vegetarian group. And this was kind of a earth-shattering study in the field because usually uh, all this, well, most of the studies uh, prior to this were signifying vegetarians and vegans having a lower risk of stroke compared to um, other dietary groups, uh, specifically uh, regular meat eaters. And, but here we have one study showing that the risk of, uh, more specifically, hemorrhagic stroke was actually increased with vegetarians. Yeah, so again, not a lot of research has been done in this field. So stroke may be a risk factor that you may be concerned about. But in the grand scheme of things, um, I think a plant-based diet um, reduces the risk for a lot of chronic diseases. So stroke is not really something that I would be concerned about. Um, I would be more concerned about chronic diseases such as heart disease, cancer, diabetes, which a plant-based diet can help reduce the risk of all of those. Right, so like... um. Obviously, like um, for those of you who have had strokes or who have families have a history of stroke, this may be bad news too. But in the grand scheme of things, like Michelle said, when you think about it in the whole totality of health, um, even if this is true, I mean, if there's one particular case of specifically like hemorrhagic strokes, so not even um, like ischemic stroke, which ischemic stroke being like the, the stroke you have from um, clogged arteries in the brain, so to say or not so to say exactly, that's what exactly what it is, and then that blocking blood flow in the brain, while hemorrhagic stroke being a different type of stroke where your blood vessels just um, burst. So it's a very specific type of stroke, and it isn't even representative of all strokes. And um, when you consider the risk that a lot more people face, like heart, like heart attacks is a lot more uh, persistent in our population, cancers um, are a lot more persistent in our population, uh, diabetes is very persistent in our population, of course it's uh, those all relate back to obesity, which um, at least a whole food plant-based diet is very or can be very helpful in managing um, obesity in some people. So when you take the whole um, view of health, um, this one specific type of stroke may not be enough of a con, so to say, um, to warrant uh, abandoning the potential health benefits of a whole food plant-based diet. And again, um, on top of that too, you gotta remember this is one study. Um, this isn't a meta-analysis, so to say, analyzing all studies, all risks of stroke. And when you do take a holistic view of the, the literature, so you go look at uh, more than just one study, you find that vegetarians and vegans actually do have, um, from so far what we've seen, have a better risk 
of stroke, uh, heart disease, cancers, and diabetes, um, which is why we see more and more people recommending, hey, maybe you should uh, try to limit your meat intake, limit your egg intake, and try to fill it in with more beans, more vegetables, more fruits, right? Um, instead of trying to get your eggs or meat in uh, as often as here in America that we often do. Yeah, so that's just one small drawback from veganism. Yeah, and that's at least um, one potential risk of it. But um, one thing that is more likely, right, of it is um, the constant criticism from others that pretty much um, a lot of us face. Um, So maybe not criticism, maybe that's too heavy of a word, but like a a little bit of like a weird stare. I don't know how to explain it. Uh, Just a little bit of a different attitude towards you. Just that feeling of being different than other people when you're eating different than others at the table. Yeah, so um, one example of this, maybe uh, probably the most common example of this, could be like um, humor towards you. So they they make a joke about you, and if um, you're someone um, that may may get offended by that, um, that, that you do run a risk of facing that, at least when you're with certain friends, obviously if... Uh, if you're with more understanding friends, um, you probably won't face a lot of these issues, really. But at least with some people, uh, talking with some people, some other people, um, uh, specifically with family, too, uh, you could face some of these. So do you have any situations of these, Michelle? Like anyone making, like, fun of, like, I don't know, like, <laughs> I don't know, like a joke towards you or something? Um, not really, personally. Um only people I can think of is like maybe my family they don't really know a lot about veganism so they're not really understanding of it Mm. Uh, most of my friends like or like at least people my age uh, are pretty familiar with veganism at this point and um, they enjoy eating vegan food with me so that's a huge benefit well, that sounds like a good, a good story for you. <laughs> but um, I, I would say like people that I work with are slightly older and and they may not be as knowledgeable about veganism as the younger generations. So those are the people that are the most questioning of it in my life. Yeah, I guess a lot of this pertains like more um, older adults, right? Um, maybe be less understanding of what younger people tend to do. So another part is also when it comes to at least speaking of older adults. Um, another part is um, potential criticism of your family. Um, I personally don't have any experience with this, but I know some people do at least. Um, some people who come from heavy cultural families they may face conflict with their own family when it comes to um, their own dietary choices. At least some parents or grandparents uh, they may find great offense with your own decisions about this and this can create a potential conflict in the dinner table um, to the point where it can be very severe and very um a big barrier towards uh continuing relation like um building relationships um so just again this it's mostly a thing that you can't really change it's mostly like a societal thing um the best you can hope to is just uh, explain to them uh, why you're doing this if it's either like for health benefits or ethical benefits or um like the environmental benefits of it. Um, those are the ways that you can hopefully try to make them a little bit more understanding towards what you're trying to do, right? Yeah, and you can always try to explain to them um, how the benefits of veganism and a plant-based diet. And I've seen like entire families go vegan altogether, and it's really amazing to see 
Like, I think, um, Taunt, what's her name? I do not know her name. I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> Tabitha Brown. I have no idea who that is. Tabitha from TikTok. She I don't, makes some I don't... of the vegan videos. Yeah, I think hmm. some of her family is vegan. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a that's another thing, too. Is, um, some may face, like, heavy criticism, right? But others may face uh, a new way of talking to your family, right? A new way of bonding if they are also open to the idea. So, um, like, anything societal, it's a case-by-case basis on what your family uh, behavior uh, what the behavior of your family is right and also with certain friends as well yeah the way i see it is um to just be a good role model you don't have to like force it onto them but if they see you eating good and you're thriving they're probably gonna respect you more and be more open to the idea of a plant-based diet yeah so well said michelle that's always um a, key, a thing to keep in mind if you're um, thinking about going on a more plant-based diet. Yeah, lead, lead by example. Those are the words that I was looking for. There we go. Rather yeah. than um, being pushy. Uh, uh-huh. But that's just me. Yeah. Yeah, it's always something to, um, hard to fight against, right? So speaking of things hard, speaking of things that are hard to fight against is also um, can be particularly Touchy for some people is the questioning of your cultural identity, uh, especially uh, potentially harmful if it comes from your own family or any of your friends. So, for example, this could be like, uh, I don't know if you're, for example, you may be like African-American and you may decide to go on a a vegan or plant-based diet and you may hear conversations from your friend talking about you like, oh, how how could you uh, insert your name BV or be vegan and African-American, right? Um, doesn't, don't you know like your culture here requires a lot of like uh, eating of these certain foods right and you can't you can't eat them you know like how can you possibly be Amer- african-american um, that's something that a lot of us have to face um, when it comes from heavy cultural families and it can be very touchy for us but again like anything else um, sort of a good thing with like how meaningful is it towards you right and how you may find it that the practices of the other cultural may not be worth it towards you when it comes to like the um, uh, potential cons that you see from pr- practicing like the meat consuming or egg consuming or dairy consuming uh, cultures. Yeah, well, we don't have to use examples here, and we're we're both people of color, and we've both experienced oh. this. Uh, we, me as an Asian, like my family eats a lot of meat and dairy because it's just embedded in our culture so i'm sure you've experienced some of that yourself aaron what about you Uh, to some extent um my family is sort of like a outlier with this they didn't pressure me too much i'm grateful for that but when it comes to like um you know finding substitutes of it it's not like a it's not like a one or nothing sort of deal at least for me um there's always ways of trying to make any recipe uh, a vegan version of it right or a plant-based version of it so at least with my um, hispanic culture or like more specifically mexican culture and a good example would be like tamales or like um, chorizo i have found versions of making them more towards my particular diet right and i still get the same flavor of it um, if i want to i can just ask my mom hey can you make this a very slightly different way and she's fine doing it like that and at least for me it's, i'm grateful that that can happen so 
at least with my food, I was able to find a vegan alternative. And really, I can go with like um, any food or most foods of other cultures. So like uh, in your case, Michelle, if you like some Asian dish, right, you can just go online and find a vegan version of it and try to f- make it yourself at home. Yeah, that's a great example of how you, you don't have to sacrifice your own culture to be vegan or plant-based. Yeah, because it's just, it's just a different sort of ingredients, a list of ingredients. So instead of like um, choosing uh, beef, you may choose like maybe as simple as just going to the store and buying like uh, vegan beef, so like garden beef. Um, that's what I often do if I'm feeling lazy about it. But uh, sometimes what I do too is like use TVP. Um, at least a specific, a specific example of this could be like ceviche. Um, anyone who has ceviche uh, knows it's a uh, very, very delicious. It's like a seafood sort of dish, uh, very popular with the Mexican culture. And I like using TVP instead of shrimp. What making is it. TVP? Yeah, TVP is sort of like, um, well, it's it stands for like textured vegetable protein, but essentially it's just like soy protein uh, dried up. And eventually when you soak it, you kind of get like a meaty texture with it. And I like putting like salt and specific spices over it, depending on the dish, various what spices I use. And I, t- I am very satisfied with using it. Yeah, and that's what's so fun about veganism. You get to try so many new foods. Um, not only, you're not just sacrificing um, everything. It's like you're introduced to all these new foods that you probably wouldn't incorporate into your diet. Like, um like, who has ever heard of walnut tacos? But some vegans have <laughs> <laughs> eaten that. Walnut so, tacos. Um, yeah, and you just use ingredients you've never used before, like flax seeds and baking and jackfruit and tacos as well. So you're really um, bringing more into your life than you're taking from it. Yeah, so it's just um, a lot of different ingredients out there to use. Um, a lot of our culture just pushes, like, uh, pork or beef as the only option in making ingredients, right? But there's many options out there. You don't have to use just those two ingredients. Um, there are vegan versions of it. Um, if at least from the store, like vegan beef or vegan p- whatever. Um, but you may also find like, other plant alternatives like jackfruit or TVP in my case. So yeah, and I think I find it more fun to try new recipes and veganize them than um, just making it the way it's supposed to be made. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just a, sort of like a push towards like just one way of doing things when in fact there's many ways of doing it and it's not just the way that people have always been doing it. There's always new ways of making you of the same thing, really. Yeah, you can really get creative with it. Yeah, so think of it like a way of exploring in a sense. Uh, find like a challenge, trying to see how much you can replicate it or if you can replicate it to the T. Um, now that's a big accomplishment, right? You can share it with your family and maybe try to make them um, or encourage them to try your recipe, right? If you want. And if there's a step over it, uh, who knows? Maybe, maybe you can start a new journey, right? Yeah, so those are just some of our thoughts and opinions on vegan culture. And lastly, we're going to wrap it up with our recipe of the week, which is a vegan chickpea flour tuna sandwich. And this is also available on our Instagram, so you can check it out there as well if you missed it. I've actually made this a few times in my own way, but basically you just do mashed up chickpeas and you can combine it with a vegan mayo or vegan... Why did I say vegan? You combine it with mayo, vegan mayo or avocado. Um, 
and you can just use any binder you can think of really that would um, make it creamy um, and it kind of tastes like tuna or looks like tuna and you can add like red onions um, celery and put it in a sandwich put it in between bread hmm. does the bread get soggy no no i don't think so okay well that's good i remember eating like before i went vegan i remember eating like tuna sandwiches and they were like really soggy and that always disgusted me and i don't know why i kept on eating it did you make it ahead of time i have no idea that's what my mom used to cook for me or not cook but like make for me so i don't know how she did it she probably did it's just good it's not soggy <laughs> i really hate the soggy bread that came with the tuna bread or the tuna sandwich so yeah that's a good recipe um, yeah, that's my go-to vegan sandwich. There yeah, go. super easy. You can make um, a bunch of chickpea mashed up and then just like put it in between bread whenever you want to eat. <laughs> yeah, and you can find us on our Instagram, right, Michelle? Right. Instagram stories. Yeah, was it under like food recipes? I think it's the title of our. Right. We only have like two. What are those circle story collections? I don't even know what they're called. They're we only called have highlights. two. Highlights. Yeah, we only have two they're highlights. They're highlights. Yeah. <laughs> we, only, we only have two, so it's pretty easy to find on our Instagram stories. So, yeah, I guess that's the episode today. So that's it for this episode, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Check out our website at foodologyradio.weebly.com. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. And check us out on Instagram at CSULB Foodology Radio. Catch us next week on Tuesday at noon.